we're going to have a research conversation right now between Philip and I about the agrarian origins of the uprising in Syria and also the agricultural uh, disturbances and effects on the archaeological record in Syria and how the anthropology and the archaeology mixes. Um, and so we're going to start to have a bit of a discussion about that now. We're also both affiliated with uh, the CBRL uh, in various ways. So I used to be the assistant director of the British Institute in Amman and Throughout that time, I was given space to expand and conduct my research and write up the results in book form. So I was a CBRL research fellow and was based out at the British Institute in Amman for a year, where again, I was able to conduct research on Syria and Jordan, which basically led us to be able to have this conversation today. Because we were invited to come and present at the British Academy's Summer Showcase, and what we've been trying to answer is is, is the is to identify the agrarian dimensions of the Syrian uprising. And my research as a political and uh, economic anthropologist, I examined the lives of rural to urban Syrian migrants living in Beirut, whose family members were some of the first people to support the uprising. And I noticed in their life histories that there was a significant agricultural dimension to the main people who were fighting in the Syrian uprising. And then if we look at the, I felt that if we look at the statistics for Syria and we look at what percentage of the country was agrarian or how many people were reliant on forms of agriculture for subsistence, we can see a massive level of transformation over recent years where those numbers of people who were able to make a, a basic and sustainable livelihood out of the land had rapidly decreased. And we'd seen a large movement of uh, rural poor to urban centres where they'd been living in slum-like settlements on the eve of the uprising, unable to find work in the city and unable to have lives in the countryside. And I was led to this because amongst my informants, I was led, I initially thought that I would only encounter men around my age, but increasingly I started to see older men who'd also returned to Lebanon in search of work and had never expected that they would have to do that. And then that led me to examine all of the transformations in the agricultural base of Syria and how those feed into the uprising. As an archaeologist, I look at it from a slightly different perspective, and I'm interested in long-term landscape change. But one of the things I noticed, having started researching on the ground, doing fieldwork in 2005, which was funded by the CBRL in um, cooperation with Durham University, is that actually we started to see a massive increase in the amount of archaeological sites that are actually being destroyed. And this very much directly links into this um, agrarian change and agrarian transformation that was actually happening, with people having to exploit much larger areas of land due to the fact that they could no longer basically earn a living by doing what they had been. And we can, we can connect this to the government's policy in the, in the mid-2000s to withdrawing agricultural subsidies on input and output. So the Syrian state used to guarantee the price of your crops, which would protect market, uh, farmers from international market prices. And at the same time, they subsidised input costs, things like uh, fuel and fertiliser. And the Syrian government made the decision to withdraw those subsidies at the height of a drought in Syria, which then causes farmers to increasingly search for means through which they can continue to make a living, which leads to over-exploitation of land resources, which of course causes massive uh, uh, environmental damages to the, Syrian, uh, to the Syrian country as well. And at the same time as this was occurring, the Syrian government also with liberalised trade resources, uh, liberalised trade barriers with uh, Turkey and China. And then this in turn led to a collapse of local forms of industry that used to be able to employ farmers. And this created a perfect storm 
I think, that, we, that, that produced profound threats both to security, to sovereignty, and also to, uh, to Syria's uh, heritage resources. So to give you, I suppose, uh, an idea about the figures related to that, if we look at the small area around Homs that we're actually working, we estimate that in the kind of early to mid-2000s, we see about 60% of the archaeology actually disappearing. And the main reason for that is because there was bulldozing going on, bulldozing to create new massive fields for crops that needed to be irrigated. And this led to massively rocking, which basically removed the basalt rocks that were below the surface to create these new big fields. But in the same time and, the, and through that process, the archaeology was also destroyed. So the question is, you know, what are the solutions for this? How can we look to hopefully when we do get to a post-conflict situation in Syria, how can we make sure that these things don't happen again? And the key to that is really sustainable agriculture. I'm now part of a project called Endangered Archaeology in the Middle East and North Africa, which is also working with the CBRL and other international and national institutions to look at this very question, this idea of, of documenting heritage, but also landscape change in order to know where the archaeological sites are, which means when rebuilding efforts come in and when people return to the countryside, we know where the archaeology is and we can potentially protect it. And, and finding finding means of employment generating livelihood support for Syrians is incredibly important because the way in which in the West we tend to think about the Syrian uprising is that it was a it was an uprising for freedom and democracy against the dictator and of course that was a massive component of what motivated people to take to the streets but at the same time we have to examine the transformations in the economic base of the country and if we don't if there's no means to address those transformations to make people's livelihoods improve then we will not have a secure situation in Syria into the future because the main the question is that we have to examine is what creates a soldier, not what creates a protester. Why were so many Syrian men willing to pick up arms and fight the state? And often that's not for farmers because they want a freedom of expression and to have a column in a newspaper. It's because they've seen their land resources severely damaged, their inability to provide for their family, an inability to live as a successful Syrian man as one would have expected to be as a child growing up, what you were taught would be success, is out of your reach now because of all of these deep transformations in the economy. And these also have to be addressed. And if these questions are not addressed and, we, and, and international organizations don't begin looking at the question of how can there be a sustainable post-conflict future for rural Syria, then the economic basis for future conflict will just remain in place. And potentially, if the, if the industrialized forms of agricultural practice that had, that had preceded the uprising continue, then we're looking at an even worse environmental catastrophe in the drought from 2006 to 2011 that people see as a fundamental trigger. The next drought will be much more severe if, if things continue as they were. So ultimately, the time is right. It's right now to have the conversation prior to the conflict ending. We need to start thinking about these questions now. If we're going to ensure a sustainable future for Syria, that one that protects livelihoods, people, they're able to earn a living off the land, but also protects the natural environment and the cultural heritage of Syria for the future.